right, everybody. It's Friday. We made it, Molly. We made it. We made Friday. it. That's week 44 in the books. Next week, we start again on Sunday with week 45. But today, the drama around SBF and FTX has reached a fever pitch. He has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. bankruptcy. This is an extraordinary five days in the life of crypto. It really is. It's been like watching. It's just been like been watching. Uh, what's the name of a short? like a mini series and it it's just like kind of it wrapped up on friday just in time mm. so we're uh, going to tell you uh, the exciting conclusion of, of this mini series yeah yeah, drama, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and of course uh my favorite segment of the show we live in the future amazon has got a new drone so we're going to talk a little bit about when drones are going to be flying over our heads delivering our coffee and packages i think it's coming soon and i got some insider information that i'm going to share inside information coming and then, of course, we have Rachel reporting, ending the show with another segment to keep us olds in the know. Okay, Boomer. Going to be a great episode. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by OpenPhone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back. But using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration with over 5,000 completed transactions and $2.5 billion under administration. Twist listeners can get 20% off their first SPV at assure.co slash twist. That's assure.co slash twist. And the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub helps all founders build a better startup at a lower cost from day one. Open to anyone with an idea, you'll get up to $150,000 in Azure credits, technical advisory, access to mentors and experts, free dev tools, and so much more. There is no funding requirement and it only takes minutes to join. Sign up today at aka.ms slash this week in startups. All right, everybody. It is Friday. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it's like, thank the Lord, Friday. I'm not 100% sure it's Friday for both of us. It's definitely Friday for me. I'm wearing Only, my, ban- my yeah. banana sweatshirt, as in this ish is all the ish. It's Friday. It. We got one more day to go, and yeah. then we get the weekend, Sunday. Yeah. Then we get the weekend, Sunday. It's going to be great. Uh, nothing about this week has slowed down, not even a tiny bit. And I know that we previously thought that we were having busy news weeks, but we were wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. We, we were wrong. We apologized to the audience when we said, you know, this is as busy as it gets because FTX. We, I mean, another character has emerged to the Theranos verse or <laughs> whatever we're going to call this, the WeWork verse, the Adam Newman verse. The cast of characters mm-hmm. who have taken incredibly large companies with incredible promise, missions, and drove them dramatically off the side of the bridge like so for us to watch them slowly plummet into the bay and float past Alcatraz before sinking like a stone. <laughs> I don't. I hate to create a visual here. Oh my god! But the fall That's from grace from FTX and Sam yeah. Bankman Freed, SBF, has been nothing short of mercurial. I mean, this is 
Joseph Campbell level drama Shakespearean. Yeah. I interviewed the dude three weeks ago at this private conference. He sat there with his leg bouncing up and down. I thought, okay, you know, I know a lot of people who have tics and uniqueness to them. <laughs> and was everybody in the room just like, yeah, we're by I mean, because that's what's so remarkable, right? Is the the, he the, came a, yeah. the shift from everybody being like, yep, we're all in on this guy. There's no way any of this is anything but on the up and up and phenomenal. And there are billions of dollars in this guy's bank account and it's and it and we can expect this to remain this way for all time and then literally three weeks later yeah. he is out the the breaking news that we thought we were actually done with this story but there seems to be at least for the moment a little bit of a wrap-up for us to end the week on which is that ftx has filed for bankruptcy not wow. particularly surprising news except that the speed is unbelievable and it tells That's what you that, i was gonna say yeah i mean we went right? from selling oopsie my bad to bankruptcy in the course of five days mm -hmm. this started sunday night right yeah <laughs> yep. wow so 32 billion dollars to bankruptcy let's just pause for a second in, in a five week, days in, in five days monday he tweeted everything is yeah. fine yeah tuesday there was a takeover attempt because uh -huh. everything was super duper not fine. Yeah. Wednesday, everything was going to be okay because of the takeover. And that was all in process. By the end of Wednesday, I believe the takeover had fallen apart. Right. Thursday, the takeover has fallen apart. SBF is seeking rescuers. Right. Trying to figure out if somebody will put in some money. Hail Mary. He's also reassuring people, which we will come back to, that everything with FTX US is fine. Mm -hmm. By Friday, he's declared bankruptcy, and the bankruptcy includes the sister company, Alameda Research, the 130 other affiliated companies, because he's been on such a big buying spree, and right. FTX US is mm -hmm. also verifiably not fine. That has all happened in the span of five days. It's crazy. So, it's crazy. yeah. I, oh, and he has stepped down, by the way. He has stepped down as the CEO, not surprisingly, of FTX. He has been replaced, this is just even more insane, by John J. Ray III, a, quote, restructuring expert, who is notably the guy that Enron brought on during okay. its liquidation process. And Got he it. did manage to help return $20 billion to Enron creditors. Oh, my Lord. Now, here's the thing. That's, that's a history book you want to be in. I hate to say I told you so to everybody. But I told you so. Like, there has to be a core amount of value in whatever asset you are trading. If you are trading an asset worth nothing, eventually it's going to evaporate because there's no there's no fundamental value there and you will run out of buyers for whatever the object is that's being traded the object's core value matters and i don't understand why this was so hard for people to understand if this was tulip mania there was a core value at some point which was a tulip it was a freaking flower there was a flower, was a, flower. a field of them yes. even they were super pretty okay but Tulips come from bulbs, from the best of my understanding. And uh, my mom, God love her, would get a, a, a bag of bulbs. She, she would purchase them. They had value to her. Mm -hmm. And in front of the brownstone in Brooklyn, I'd watch my mom plant her bulbs. And then 
they would bloom. And she got incredible joy from them. There was somebody in the world, my mom, who loved planting these bulbs to see these tulips rise. And the tulips created massive joy. Now, this is the simplest thing in the world, a flower. When we look at these tokens, and we've had these people on the pod, we had Terra Luna, we had Do Kwan on the program, and, and even another object, a, 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 a hydrogen powered truck to, to deliver beer. We had um, right Milton, Nicola, Trevor Milton, Trevor Milton. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So you, you you look at the core value of these things, and in both cases, a little suspect. Hey, where's the truck? Oh, the truck is being pushed down the hill by gravity. Okay, so when you look at the core object, Molly, you, you go, okay, that that core object doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, the Badger. He's going to make his own little truck to compete with the Cybertruck and the F-150 or the electric F-150. Okay, wow, bold entrepreneur. But it, oh, it also does not exist. It's just a prototype made in the lab. It's, 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 a, it's, it's not a real object. It's, a, it's an idea that this object may future exist. It's like somebody making like a tulip out of clay, right? It's, this is what the tulip's going to look like. And, and so that's, I think, the underlying lesson here for everybody is at some point you have to look at what, what is the core asset here? And the core asset here was the trading that never made sense to me. And um, yeah, I'm just glad to see this all flush out. I think if we can just erase this entire period of nonsense from the system, get rid of the people who were investing in it, Mm -hmm. get rid of the people who were, you know, trying to find bag holders, get the bag holders re-educated to like, hey, maybe buy some shares in a company of a product you use and love like okay you love disney you love amazon you, you, you love the facebook go buy their shares if you happen to be a person who loves a headset go buy that because at least you can use that product and make some investment decision based on the product the yeah value i i wish that i could say that we will erase that you know it's interesting because we will erase parts of this episode no doubt we'll move on and there will be a show about it and everybody's yeah. already casting the skyline i mean first of all he is in some trouble i think we can probably quite going definitively to, going to say jail. he okay yeah he's probably gonna I, go to i'll jail. make the prediction based yeah. on my he's going to jail. judgment this dude's going to jail but Period, full stop what is remarkable is that this still encompasses the in no way is this contained to the crypto world or even these exchanges right institutional investors we will eventually find out the extent to which institutional investors have all been a part of this ecosystem without a doubt right they've done the like cnbc tours they've been pumping this up they've been saying because we have financialized the entire american economy we are totally fine with products that do not exist other than as financial tools the list of them is endless and he splashy cashied money around to all these various politicians like you had you know somebody made the point i think matt stoller's been tweeting about this all day he made the point that like sbf uh, the current sec chair was appointed by a politician who took five million dollars from sbf all of these like the republicans who were big crypto pushers took money from various crypto billionaires lots of democratic candidates took money from sbf like this this it's not a like it's not a thing you can put in a box and make go away it's like gonna have altered the landscape of the u.s kind of financial world all right everybody on the phone today is open phones founder darina kulia welcome to the program darina thanks jason great to be here now what mistakes do most founders make with phone numbers in their startups great question first one is 
they use their personal phone number for their business. And it's an easy mistake to make because you don't necessarily think about it much. You know, you incorporate your company, you put your phone number, there's all these forms you fill out. It very quickly goes from being your personal number to being the number for the company. And when that happens, there are all these data aggregators and all kinds of services that take your number and put it everywhere. Yeah. Suddenly now there is this uptick in spam text messages. It's the worst. Yeah. And people just wonder like, how are others getting my number? Well, let me tell you, you put it in different places and it kind of uh, snowballed from there. So that's the first mistake. Yes. The second, which is initially as a founder, you're the salesperson. You're the only sales, sales rep. And then you hire a first sales rep. And sometimes founders let that person use their personal oh. phone number. Oh no. That number, the data, everything that happens is just fully belongs to the sales rep. And if that person leaves- You lose the entire history with your customers. Yeah. And then what if that sales executive goes to a competitor? Exactly, yep. Okay, everybody, Twist listeners can get 20% off any plan for their first six months at Open Phone. Just go to openphone.com slash twist. If you got an existing number, they'll put it right over for free. Head to O-P-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot com slash twist today for 20% off. May I add a point to this, Molly? Yes. When we start talking about the obvious. When people start doing stuff offshore. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come and on. And they just happen to love living in come the on. place <laughs> that is the most lenient in terms of securities laws or whatever it, you know it could be that they like the weather possibly uh-huh maybe but the weather in san diego is i from what i understand is the best weather on the planet and all los angeles right behind it and you know norcal is not not too not too shabby if you, if you like a little bit of variability in your yeah, weather. A, little, a little mediterranean climate's delightful just open your eyes people one of the weird things that i am making a big note of Every time we have one of these boom bust cycles, I, I take a little bit of notes for myself mm -hmm. and purposefully deluding yourself, not looking at the objective reality and the signs. To me, this is one of the most pernicious, interesting assets of human nature. The ability to look at a collection of facts and because you're making money on the way up and you have a J trade on, if you will. And you're saying, you know what? I made this trade. I bought TSMC because the acquired FM guys talked me into it in the face of China saber rattling that they're going to take over Taiwan, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I believe they're not going to, and I am going to suspend disbelief. And I, and I literally, now that I am a TSMC, the Taiwan, Taiwan semiconductor shareholder, it is impacting my thinking about what's going to happen in China because yeah. I placed that bet, right? The people who place these bets, like, I'm just thinking, I don't want to single out anybody, but Chris Dixon, you know, made this his chosen bet. And to watch Chris Dixon, who's a very smart individual, who I respect, you know, for, for his body of work as an entrepreneur, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he was number one on the Midas list, I understand, not that anybody cares about that. But like, what is Chris Dixon thinking in terms of, hey, I, I raised billions of dollars and I'm deploying billions of dollars into this. At some point, you have to start rolling back that 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 thinking, right? And, and, and the dissonance has to come in. Like, well, did I fund companies that set up in Panama and BVI and here, and they never delivered a product, and they didn't have boards of directors, and you know, all this stuff is just shocking to me. And that's why, as we do our investment team meetings, the ITM twice a week, mm -hmm. two hours, 
I'm really doing my darndest to try to, every time people get caught up and excited, to then, you know, maybe show the other side of the argument and just say, hey, here are some heuristics for investing in companies, right? Mm -hmm. Just some ideas for you. Um, Make a real thing. What, what, what is real? The other thing that's very real is prism. And, uh, good segue. Good segue. Good segue. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest moment in the history is- of, uh, streaming on the internet. Here is Martin Shkreli, also known as Farmer Bro, for those who are not listening on something called Up Only. I guess this is like an online, um, bro show. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I don't know if it's for criminals or grifters, but it's a bro show. I don't know what the topic is, but I think it's a streaming show on like a Twitch kind of situation. And uh, top right, Molly, in center stage with, you know, and people give me hard a time about like my comb over, you know, whatever, uh, floppy haired Martin Shrelly with a crazy uh, comb over looking kind of schvelt coming out of jail um, next to Doquan in front of a Halloween pumpkin patch. For your pleasure some in some advice perhaps unsolicited from martin shkreli to do quan of it's good to be here hey do um i just want to let you know jail's not that bad it's um <laughs> it's always but it's, it's not the worst thing ever <laughs> you know so don't don't fret if that i hope it doesn't, doesn't happen but if it does happen it's, it's not that bad jail is not that know. bad <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> your mileage may vary your mileage <laughs> may vary because my worldview on prison is not based on Martin Shkreli and what he says. It's based on what I saw on the TV show Oz. And uh, based on that, I'm going to say not delightful. So I don't think you should commit crime and then go to jail. I mean, listen, we have been, been there. He's been there. Did you, you say you've been there? No, I said we haven't been there. We don't. I mean, just saying he's he's boots on the ground here. He's, he a, he's an on the ground reporter. Holy. I mean. Yeah, clearly, by the way, that uh, that consequence did not seem to matter. I keep looking at this financialization, though, like, uh-huh. the, you know, there are lots and lots of research pieces and articles being written about the financialization of the U.S. economy that that the financial industry represents like 25 percent of the uh, American economy while employing only 4 percent of the people. These are things that are, in fact, not they're just services. They don't produce any goods and they make tons and tons of money like it doesn't surprise me at all and i i'm so obsessed with this in part because for example i'm very interested in you know as an investor tools that incentivize climate finance because one of the things that we need to get these solutions out is a crap ton of money Mm. and this is all very lucrative the financial sector makes a ton of so it doesn't actually so when i put my kind of like spock hat on i can really see how chris dixon would think, why wouldn't this be an incredibly investable space? One right. banker went to jail after 2008, but everybody made tons of money. Like yeah. financialization makes money. And right. so if you looked at it through that lens, if you didn't think, oh, this is all about creating a new currency, this is da 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 be like, no, this is a new mechanism for creating financial tools that will generate tons of value. I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah. It I, I, also I, requires you to ignore the many, many times over the years that the whole system has collapsed. But, you know, and, human you nature. Know, here's the thing. I, I, here's where, yeah, so I, I think that's a good steel manning of like Chris Dixon, like being attracted to the space and other venture capitalists who have got obsessed with it. Great. Right. Financial products, important. These ones are better. Awesome. Also, it's they, a better also they got paid twice. I still think they got paid twice because they got I token think, handouts. 
yeah, I think the token handouts, the bag holding, the selling of shares. I think then you have to take all that enthusiasm and then put it on the Silicon Valley playbook where we give people milestone based financing and we hold our shares for a decade and we play the long game. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things where I think this got perverted. This ability to create shadow and a shadow security system outside of the SEC's jurisdiction to be flipping coins. And, you know, I don't know that Chris Dixon was flipping coins, but I know coins were being flipped by many parties and that they invested in companies with coin flipping and securities laws were quite obviously, you know, missing. Flaunted, maybe, I guess, is the most generous way. They just just decided their interpretation of securities laws was we can create a security. Gary Gensler saying, no, you can't. They're saying, yes, we can. Right. They they do the test. They find a lawyer who, you know, yes, mans them to death. And Mm -hmm. okay, we got some lawyer who says we're in the clear that we paid a million and a half dollars to to make some BS statement when, you know, a a normal law firm would have charged fifteen thousand dollars for the same work. Okay, put it all aside. Um, you know, why did these companies need so much money? Why did they need to get all this money before they built the products? And this is where VCs need to look, take a deep look in the mirror. This is where like a Chris Dixon needs to take yeah. a deep look in the mirror. Again, I'm not singling him out, but if you want to be the number one guy in the space, you have a leadership position. You cho- he, Chris Dixon chose to be the leader in the space by raising the most money, by beating everybody else's term sheets. Okay, if you want to be a hotshot, you want to place the hot bets, you want to be number one on the list, you know, well, you're going to have to make sure that those companies behave in a certain fashion, which is to ship product. You can't give people $500 million, $300 million when they don't have a product or the product's not launched. You got to keep people on a milestone based um, reward system here. I'm referring to myself as well. I don't want a $2 billion fund right now. I want to build my little $150 million fund, launch fund for Jason Calacanis at launch.co. If if you're a QP and you want to talk to me about the fund, I want to earn trust in the community, deploy the capital intelligently. I think we need to look at the VCs who made some of these bets and say, what were you thinking? Let's do a postmortem here. How would you do better the next time? I, I think the LPs are going to be infuriated after this. Yeah. I think LPs are going to yeah. look back on this and look at billions of dollars just incinerated and they're going to hold people accountable. Uh, and they're going to say, take me through this. Take, take me through it. Just what, what happened here? I or agree. not. Maybe they just, maybe they all got their, they, they flip some bags and they're in good shape. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we have to. I've been saying this for months now. Like, I think we have to at some point take a hard look at the get paid twice factor here. If VCs also got tokens, mm-hmm. I said this on like with Derek Thompson. I've said it on this show. Yeah. If they also got tokens, even if they had a lockup period, mm. at some point they were able to sell. The, the tokens were liquid at some point. FTT, yeah. not so much. But you could also see why a VC would be like, oh, I'm totally going to invest in the exchange mm-hmm. because the exchange itself is a product, even if the underlying token is still kind of, I know Vinny took issue with my characterization of it as invented, but it still was <laughs> fundamentally invented. <laughs> manifested? Manifested. That's a good one. That's a good one. Mani- we manifested it. If you're an accredited investor, you need to know about special purpose vehicles. What's an SPV? It's an investment vehicle that allows 250 accredited investors to invest up to $10 million via one entry on a startup's cap table. So if you're an angel investor, you got a bunch of rich friends, maybe your poker buddies, you could start your own syndicate powered through SPVs, just like me. 
at thesyndicate.com. We are powered by our friends over at Sure. My syndicate has over 10,000 members and almost 5,000 of them have already done a deal and I've done over 250 deals thanks to my friends at Assure. They do all this back end and fund administration for me. They're the leading provider of SPVs and fund administration in the world with over $2.5 billion in AUA, assets under administration. And they've completed, wait for it, over 5,000 transactions. Nobody's done more, nobody's done it better. They've developed their own innovative software called Glassboard to automate the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to IPO. And not only do investors love it, but founders love this process as well because it keeps their cap tables nice and clean. And so you can trust them. They're really hardworking and they do a great job, super responsive. To get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle, visit assure.co slash twist, A-S-S-U-R-E dot C-O slash twist. That's assure.co slash twist to get 20% off your first SPV. And now we're just waiting for the other dominoes to fall. Like I think one of them, Tether, maybe unpegged from the US dollar. Oh, Block did it? Fi. Oh, God. I, I, I hate to like... BlockFi halted trading. I hate today, to be excited briefly. about another person's demise, but man, I hope Tether goes to zero. Yeah, you do though. <laughs> you do. Only because like I really... The fact that these guys are on the lab, like they don't live in America. They don't do interviews. They refuse to do a proper audit. Like yeah. it's just all I find it. And then they're going on CNBC and kind of like trying to like, you know, spin it to de to Debo. I'm just like, come on. So, yeah, yeah. By the way, Debo a little upset at me because she felt like I, you know, with the whole Ligma Johnson thing, uh, the 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 fake things that I, I didn't have her back enough. I I thought I did. I don't know if you heard that all in episode where I said, listen, mm -hmm. my contemporaries were uh, my my my. Uh, compatriots were like, oh, journalism sucks, blah, 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 blah. They can't even get a story right. I was like, you know, live journalism is a little different. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah. You know, like when you're doing live journalism, the public deserves to get live journalism. Mm -hmm. And live journalism, you could be punked in the moment. We all understand that somebody can run up to a microphone and say, Baba Booey. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have your producers as you're doing live unravel that stuff in real time it's just the right. nature of it right which she did and she did a great job with like she I, yeah and i was like i think she did the right thing on twitter she did the right thing i mean I, let's yes. just let's just say i don't have any yeah thing nice to say about their thoughts about journalism especially considering the sources well here's the thing i just say you if you do live journalism you're gonna get punked mm -hmm. you don't judge people on the fact that other people are trying to deceive you them. You judge them on if you do investing. You if you do punked. investing, sure. you can get punked. Like, don't talk to me about <laughs> how journalists. Story. Exactly. That that's what story. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm drawing that specific conclusion. Like, you yes. cannot say that somehow journalists are getting everything wrong when VCs keep pumping up SBF over and over and over. Correct. Like, don't all, even. We can all get punked. We can all get punked. We can all get punked. Now, what matters is when you do get punked, do you own it? Mm -hmm. And Debo, I just want to put it out there. Debo Rosa. owned it. I just want to make sure I, for a second time, I'm going to defend her and all live news journalists. We want live journalism to exist as a practice. There was a terrible one where, like, they did, they got the local, and, and listen, I get it. It's funny, like in a juvenile South Park or actually the Simpsons, remember they would get people to say silly names when you sound them out on the overhead speaker. Like, I get it. It's juvenile. I find it hilarious at times. It's completely inappropriate at times. There was like this um, airplane crash or something at SFO and they read the names of the Asian pilots or passengers oh, yeah. and they were all just like super racist stuff. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. They, they, these poor anchors mm-hmm. who are reading live from a teleprompter. We all handed. know that's the social contract that they're teleprompter readers. The writer got punked. The person mm-hmm. who wrote them got punked. The audience laughs. The trollers laugh. Then they have to apologize. Yeah. It's part of life. Like people can trick other people. Deception is part of life. You d- Deirdre Posted did the right thing. She just owned it. And she's, you know what? I, I'll tell you why I even respect her more. She took a screenshot. She took the tweet down and mm-hmm. said, I got to take the tweet down because it's incorrect. But I'm taking a screenshot of it and replying it to my apology. And I'm making a video apology. And I'm explaining, you know, what happened. And and she mm-hmm. like, she's, she super owned it. So I just, well, I, I want to make sure. Like, yeah. I don't, she again. hears this clip a second time, me defending her. As she should. Because yeah. I do not see yeah. the same introspection about Theranos or WeWork or yeah. SBF. Yeah, the people who invest. Yeah. Well, like actually, I did see Sequoia owned you know, it, right? They wrote that letter. They did own it. I would say Sequoia defended it and did a good job communicating with their LPs about the reality of the situation. They put a yeah. lot of good math in there. Did Sequoia yeah. own getting punked by this guy? No. Yeah. Okay. No. So, right? like, if we yeah. want VC to exist and VC can get fooled yeah. by founders, we want journalists to exist and journalists can get fooled by fast moving information. Yeah. So, everybody maybe needs to back the hell off each other. Yeah, stand down for a second and just uh, assess the situation. And there could be lazy. Some grace. Well, there are some lazy investors who there don't are. do diligence, and there some are some lazy, lazy journalists. journalists who will print whatever comes in from a hotmail account. Exactly. Right. Those things do exist in the world, and then there's other people who will be super diligent about it. And I think we always figure this out when we see people's reaction to it. Speaking yep. of reactions to it, a uh, friend of the pod, Logan Bartlett, who is going to be on this podcast when uh, Molly and I take a vacation. I want to make a short list of like people to do to sit in. I know. I'm like, we get a vacation. Tell me more. <laughs> well, ski season's coming up. I would like to, you know, maybe do a couple. Of, I like to bag a couple of great founder interviews. Uh, for you all. So Let's I can, totally do that. Hits the mountain. Also, uh, yeah. Although I don't know how that works with 16 hour days. Friend of the pod, Logan Bartlett. I was on a couple weeks ago on his uh, great podcast, Cartoon Avatars. And I like a person who this is if you really want to build a great relationship with me. If you tell me you were inspired by me oh my god that to me <laughs> that's like I, you're not you're like totally a bestie no the 20 minute vc guy and uh yeah, logan yeah, Parler, yeah. 20 minute vc he was like harry stabbins was like oh jason galicanis on my podcast this week i want to let you know you inspired me when i was in elementary school and i started listening to this week in service i was like excuse me and yes when i was in eighth grade studying in london i listened to this week in startups and i started 20 minute vc and logan bartlett sat on his pod Hey, I saw the all-in guys do this, and I decided I'd start a pod because mm-hmm. I thought maybe I could do that too. And what have I done? He asked me for my advice. <laughs> I said, "Don't." Don't do a podcast. <laughs> I was like, or Dude. "Don't ask me." Well, he was talking about doing it for uh, Logan Barlow works at a fund called Redpoint, I believe. He's asked Redpoint, and he's got a cartoon avatar. You can search for it. Um, and I was on a couple of weeks ago, but he's like, "Yeah, no, I think it's like a good idea to like increase deal flow." Blah blah. blah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Be careful. <laughs> I don't know if it's increased Sax's deal flow or not. <laughs> so just be careful what your spicy takes. But he had a spicy take. I want to see what you think of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logan Bartlett tweeted, it's kind of hard not to think about how differently SBF would have been covered the last two years if he had been giving to giving to Republican causes. Ooh, making us be intellectually honest. What do you think? Spicy? Good take? Not for you. Spicy I... or not spicy? I think it's spicy. Yeah, okay, definitely. Spicy. And then Jenny left court responded and said, imagine if SBF was a woman. I haven't seen the, is this the end of the boy boss articles? 
which ah, made that's me laugh. Great. Oh, yeah. that's super spicy. I give that three jalapenos. What you have to have like a spicy scale. I, that's, uh, out of four spicy, I give Logan one spicy, mm-hmm. one chili pepper. I give Jenny two and a half chili peppers. Yeah. I mean, that is spicy. So here's what I respond. I wrote spicy this in too. our I wrote this in our signal chat super early this morning in response to this because like, yeah. Absolutely. Big rich guy, Democratic donor, which is not something you hear about. You don't usually hear about a lot of like new tech entrepreneurs, for example, coming in, giving to Democrats. So I am certain that that created a little bit of a like, he's a good guy vibe um, or the media wanting to see him as a good guy. There were there's gotta also, be a four. There's got to be a four spicy Molly. Come on. There's got to be a spicier one. This producer. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. I'm gonna get there. Okay. There were also lots of journalists out there making money mm-hmm. on Twitter. Or on crypto, sorry. Um, oh, there were, yeah. I'm sure, right? Yeah. Like you, you saw, and mm-hmm. I really do think, and I wrote this in our signal, that the constant being trolling mm-hmm. on Twitter, every time you said a single negative thing about crypto, mm-hmm. no matter what it was, yes. that is like, that ends up like playing the refs. You get to the point Absolutely. where you're just like, you know what? It's not worth it for me to be skeptical of yes. the rise of something that looks a lot like a Ponzi scheme, because if I'm skeptical about this on public, I will start to get like death threats from trolls. It is a trolls. little psyops. This is the this is the Brigadoons brigadating, and it the, works. The brigading you, the Brigadoons, and it works because and so I you had eventually to turn my replies off. It's not even just that; it works on journalists. All the journalists are on Twitter. They're all getting yelled at if they ever say anything critical about crypto or like the other guy, and at some point. They stop saying it, which is bad for news. And they might even find themselves getting nudged in the opposite direction. Because if you have a message shouted at you enough times, you start to think, well, maybe there's something to this. Mm. This is, I'm starting a new segment. Which I know is not spicy enough for you, but. These were spicy. But as far as I'm concerned, I didn't need a glass of milk for either of these takes. These were spicy takes. But I could have I could have a second bite of the same spice. He's going I'm all like, looking for spicy on the way out. Like spicy, you want, hot ones. You want the I tenth want, wing and hot oof, ones. You feel the next day spicy. You know what I'm saying? I want mm-hmm. the spiciest of spicy on these takes. I want. Oh, I can't breathe spicy. There, there must be people. I mean, of course there are. Yeah. <laughs> of Did course there one? are. Um, Matt Stoller had a good piece too about how all of the all of the times that that various members of the media like boosted this. Mm. And I, I really do think that the skepticism went away because of the trolls and the boosting happened as some sort of like, like you said, psyop situation. I mean, honestly, we can, I think all agree that the mm. biggest chili pepper in the room right now is CZ. Yeah. He's pretty spicy. Uh, that dude's spicy. He's like, I'm going to sell mine buy your firm. No, I'm not going to buy your firm. I'm going to dance on your grave. Yes. Ta-da. Ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then he's like i'm gonna issue some business lessons for you yeah. like your business lessons are like i would say if you um you should avoid businesses and exchanges and products that are not profitable or survive by selling their own tokens or give high incentives for locking your tokens or have a large total supply but only a small circulation supply and involve loans and then he says that's ftx aside i mean that kid is ice cold He's ice cold. Uh, I mean, the spiciest take, of course, comes from Rachel reporting. Oh, as always. So this is like the SBF tweet. Uh, We'll pull it up here. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the biggest thing. I f***ed up. 
and I should have done better. <laughs> and Rachel, <laughs> her retweet of this is, <laughs> this sounds like he's about to dump his college girlfriend because he wants to go on spring break with no strings attached. Well played, Rachel. You didn't even tweet that way yet, but I'll I'll tell I, you, what, I, you, go, you can do that Rachel from the TWI startups account. I would like hilarious. the TWI startups account to be the spiciest of takes. I'd like it to be three or four. Do not tweet Rachel unless you can get to that three or four caliber. I need a glass of milk, coughing, fill it the next day, wake up. Yeah, I want, I want to, you know, when I I know know I've eaten too much spicy food, you know, when you wake up at like 2am from the spicy food and you're just like, please God, I'll, I'll never eat that dish again. Just make this end. My stomach and my throat are on fire. Please make it end spicy. Are we ready for cool stuff or are you still looking for spicy takes? <laughs> well, yes. yes. I just don't just even know if it. I want to talk about the communal living in Oh, Bahamas. the polycule? I mean, if they're all poly, I'm cool with it. Like, great, live your life. But if they're poly running a Ponzi, if it's a poly Ponzi. It's a poly Ponzi. If it's a poly Ponzi, it's just a little straight up. It's, I mean, this it, story it, has everything. everything. I'm just, I have two tabs open. This story Constantly. has everything. Like, this story has everything. A CEO <laughs> with an acronym for a name who lives in the Bahamas in a poly relationship <laughs> with 10 people. 10 people. Stefan doing this one is too much. No, it's, I yeah, know, totally I nobody. stop. I can't nobody take this story. This. I just I also want to thank Jonah. I just Jonah. keep refreshing it. I just, just want to congratulate Jonah Hill on his second Oscar for this okay. one. Because Jonah he's Hill, definitely Jonah Hill. runner, but. What about the guy from Parks and Rec, John Ralphio? Ralphino? He literally is Ralphio. He literally plays... Ben Schwartz? I mean, he's just, it's incredible. Here's some uh, best of John Ralphio. Hmm. He does look... Oh my God, this, this spicy is, take. I can't even, I can't even read that one out loud. This is I, all the Nick popcorn. found the spiciest. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm not willing to read this one out. At the end of today's show notes, if you, if you cunt and pack enough, we're going to link to four chili peppers. When we hit four chili peppers and e- the two of us are not comfortable reading it, we'll just link to it in the bottom of the show notes. Last of the show notes, look for the four chili peppers. We're going to link to this. All right, everybody, I want to take a moment to thank our friends at Microsoft. Today, we have Lahini Arunachalam uh, with us. She's a senior director of platform and growth at Microsoft. She actually created the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about the Founders Hub. Why did you create it? Yeah, so we built Founders Hub based on the feedback from hundreds of founders. We spoke to founders at all stages of their journey. So ones that were just starting out with an idea to those that had actually built successful companies just to better understand what their challenges and pain points were as they were building their businesses. And we found three challenges that kind of rang true regardless of where they were in their journey. The first one was that founders need access to coaching and advice to get to that next milestone. The next is that they need to accelerate the time it takes to actually build an MVP or their second product or their next set of features. And of course, founders need capital to actually keep them afloat as they continue to build their companies. And so Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is a digital platform built to help founders with these challenges. Thanks so much, Lahini. If you would like to check it out, go to the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. And they have no fundraising requirements open to anybody. If you're a founder, they want to they support you. 
takes five minutes to apply and startups can get up to six figures of benefits instantly. Sign up for the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub today at aka.ms slash this week in startups. My favorite section of this podcast. I have a couple, but I really love we live in the future. Amazon is launching a new, smaller, more quiet delivery drone that can fly through light rain. Let's take a look. They've spent almost a a decade, by the way, Amazon, they, yeah. you know, we, we keep seeing them work on drones. Here's your new design of a drone for looks delivery. Like a, huh? Yeah, a, this looks it's, slightly different than a regular drone. Oh, it's a video of a 3D rendering. So, okay. so yes. just to give you broad strokes, what Amazon has sort of been doing here. This one's going to be for delivering packages less than five pounds in as little as 30 minutes uh, after an order it goes in. They've had lots of delays. We know that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they had that famous 60 minute piece. This new drone is called MK30. It'll start being used in 2024. It's going to replace the MK272 model. It's going to make deliveries in Lockford, California, and College Station, Texas this year. I want to get the populations of those two places because I have mm-hmm. a feeling that these drones are going to work wonderfully, as we've talked before, in like the country slash burbs. Yep. You know, the suburbs when you're on a quarter acre. And then there's like farmland and there's something in between. I'm going to call it like, you know, when people have five, 10 acre lots, like you, you yeah. see in Texas a lot. Yeah. Like sort of sparsely popular. No, um, not, yeah. Sparse, like sparsely. Spar- po- it's un- not dense, not dense. So the suburbs are too dense. Row okay. houses are too dense. There's mm-hmm. too many people per acre. But when you get out to like, you know, Hey, there's a, f- people have five, 10 acres each and exactly correct. College station, 120,000 pop. Uh, Waco, Texas, 139. These are like, I think, the towns where this is going to work. Um, and five pounds is just perfect because mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that's like two thirds of things ordered are going to be in that range, five pounds or less. You get your coffee, yeah. two, three pound bag of coffee, perfect for this. And really, I was talking to somebody who's deep in the delivery game. I'm not going to say which company it is, but one of the top five delivery companies I was talking to just last night. And uh, they are very, very bullish on this 2025, 2027 timeframe, like three, mm-hmm. four years from now. And they're investing heavily in it. And I won't say who, but the reason is because the CapEx, it turns out cars for delivery, the CapEx is really high because it's yeah. a car. These drones are going to cost low thousands of dollars. They're going to cost nothing to maintain. And if they can keep them in the air, which when's the last time oh so anyway and these are going to cost low thousand right so these are going to cost one let's just put them at three or four grand each i'll put them at four grand mm-hmm. a self-driving car is going to be a hundred these are going to be f- literally four percent of the cost you yeah. can buy 25 of these for the cars these are going to also they fly like a pro mm-hmm. so they do direct line when's the last time you heard molly a story of a drone falling from the sky and killing somebody. I haven't heard that story in a long time, or just a drone falling from the sky. Yeah. Remember those stories 15, 20 years ago? Just, or maybe 15 years ago, was drones it, did falling it from the sky. Happen? I don't know if it's ever killed anybody, but there's been a lot of, dr- there, there was like drones falling from the sky, United States. I was looking up drone 2022. Up CEO Tom Walker, by the way, because remember we had him on. I have a reminder in my phone to like check in with him after six months because it was so he was talking about air delivery. And one of the things he told us on that episode was that 
it it is like 70 or 75 percent of packages are five pounds and under i mean it was like a massive number right of the actual packages these things are so safe when i was at burning man they were doing drone shows of like the burning man flying in they had the the burning man which is the 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 wicker kind of wood man walk across the playa in drones people feel so safe about these they were replacing firework displays with fleets of three or four hundred of them if you can put three or four hundred of them in the air molly and have Mm -hmm. them dance around in close proximity to each other certainly they can deliver some coffee certainly they can get you some shaving cream you know or whatever yeah so i think it's time for us as a society to just say society needs to be much cooler and we need to live in the future i want everybody to collectively say uh they should just do a vote in the town do we want to risk somebody getting hit in the head with a drone to live in the future and if over 75 percent say yes i want to live in the future just like you know gay marriage just like cannabis regulation let's just live in the future man come on we're all going to be gone soon let's have cool (laughs) stuff now yeah i want cool stuff now the faa has been just stone cold standing in front of drone delivery and rollout and frankly like if they could just get out of the way it could get safer faster there's only i just found out actually that in north dakota university of north dakota in grand forks has a um really well-known aerospace program and it apparently has become quite a hub we should go on a field trip and watch some drones because it has beyond line of sight Mm. testing because that's one of the faa regulations right now is that you can't fly a drone further than you can see it Oh, that's why they pick these towns, right? Because we had the guy. Yeah, um, Tom Walker. Yeah, Tom Walker, drone up. Drone up. Yeah, by the way, here's what these drone shows look like. I'm not sure which drone show this is, but I mean, look at this, Molly. Yeah, they're amazing. Holy I saw the A's cow. have been doing them instead of fireworks nights, and it's look incredible. Look at the face. Yeah. Oh, that, th- I think this is the Burning Man one. I think I saw this one. I might have imagined it, um, but I think I did see this. <laughs> the mask. Hard to say. Hard to say what happened. They're, um, they're insane. Look at like, it rotating now. Oh, my God. And the eyes are starting to that glow. That is trippy. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, it looks like that big say. um it looks like the what's wrong with my brain you know the big blue man yeah, from right. the it's comics okay. oh uh you're thinking of like uh, the manhattan yeah mr manhattan is that from uh yeah, yeah watchman. mr manhattan watchman Maybe. yeah that, yeah galactus. Mr. Manhattan. you could be thinking of galactus no i'm thinking also of mr. very manhattan. large eats the earth planets the big but, like guy. his face would take up the whole sky when he looks at planet earth mm-hmm. so let's Couple go nerds in here am i right anyway let's go i'm with you let's live in the future and then that let's have Rachel tell us what the future oh. actually looks like because she knows what the kids are doing these days. Yeah. We got, so, Rachel, we got Rachel reporting. Okay, Boomer coming up next. All right. Enjoy, everybody. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Owen Rowe, for joining me today on this segment of Okay, Boomer. Owen is one of my Twitter friends, which feels like there are so many of them now. Um, when I first got this job, I feel like I increased like the amount that I was tweeting just because of how active um, Jason and Molly are over on Twitter. And our friendship was one of the results of that. And I'm very, very happy about it. Um, Owen, for those of you who don't know, um, it feels like everybody should know you because you're all over my Twitter page, is a 19-year-old product designer at Stacked, which is a watch-to-earn Web3 streaming platform. So thank you, Owen. Super happy to be here. Big fan of the show. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's nuts that you are a product designer at Stack and you're only 19. But what's even crazier is the fact that this isn't like your first job. Um, you were like a working professional when I was 19. 
I think I was working like at a boutique or I was a server in State College, Pennsylvania. Um, one of the two. And both of them not as cool as being a product designer, um, at least to me. And I know previously you were an art director, which is so cool, at an esports discovery platform called eFuse, um, where you helped manage and really just deal with that creative unit. And you were also a graphic designer at the esports organization Evil Geniuses. So I've seen a lot about the world of esports lately. My roommate got a Steam Deck and we've been loving it. It's a big, big apartment fave. But it really got me thinking about the people that create these games. And you were actually the one that brought to light how working in this industry is a little, um, it's a little spicy. And ever since I read a piece you put out about why you left the esports industry, I've seen a ton of other people talk about their similar experiences and how they were treated. And that's kind of what I want to cover today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't regret working in esports by any means. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to portray it like it's a it's a bad thing. Um, but I think there are some complications that are unique to the esports industry that mm-hmm. most startups really don't deal with. Because um, it's weird too. Like esports teams, a lot of people think of it as kind of like a niche like subculture kind of thing. But I mean, these companies are commanding tech startup valuations um, with a fundamentally like different approach because they're not making a product. They're not banking on exponential growth really for like users or anything. They're not, it's just a totally different like business model. Um, and it's also compared to traditional sports a lot. I think that's the most obvious uh, analog that already exists, but it's not really comparable to traditional sports either, because it's a lot harder to monetize an esports fan. Obviously, traditional sports are mostly in person. Esports isn't. It's like a online native thing. So there's kind of this weird ecosystem that arises where these games are put out by publishers. The publishers act as gatekeepers for pretty much everything. So it's a very um, fragile relationship, I would say. Mm, got you. And what made you decide to get, I guess, your first role over at Evil Geniuses in this esports uh, world? Or even was that even like your first role? Uh, I did some stalking and that's as far back as I could go. Um, I mean, I'd say it's my first like legit role. Because uh, I'd been working in esports, working in esports since I was like 13. Um, I was doing a lot of like unpaid work for relatively big orgs, I guess. Not as big mm-hmm. as EG. But I kind of worked my way up over the years. I just built my resume, built my following. Um, that eventually coalesced into my role at EG. Yeah. Got you. And... How did your experience at EG prepare you for your role at eFuse? Like, was your experience at both companies um, like the same? Like, do you think a lot of people in esports experience the same thing that you did, or do you think that that's something that's really like company to company? Oh man, uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I think there are certainly uh, some teams are better than others in terms of. I mean, I guess just the culture, compensation, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. They all basically act like they go at the pace of tech startups. 
So you're not going to get like a comfy like fang kind of thing going on where you kind of just like relax all day. That does not happen in esports. Uh, the issue is that in esports, you're also not getting. There, there's a lot of practices that uh, I don't know. I don't want to say are like predatory because at the end of the day, it's like on the individual to figure it out and take deals that are um, beneficial for them. Um, but you might get locked in a position where there's like a perpetual contractor type of situation where you're kind of an employee, but you're in like limbo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get benefits or anything like that. That's super common. I think that's yeah. way more common than people realize even. Yeah. TSM. I was, was just about to say to the yeah. Washington. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the Washington post actually had this like whole investigative uh, piece that they did exposing TSM for having permanent contractors. Um, which basically yep. means you don't have any benefits and the financial incentives are uh, pretty poor. Um, but I highly recommend anybody that is really interested in diving into how people that are behind the games that you really like or esports competitions dive into that Washington Post article because that was crazy to me. That was, I think I actually found that article though, even from your, um, your tweet where you screenshotted a longer post that you had. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. Um, can you kind of describe what permanent contractors are and why these companies decide to hire on these permanent contractors? Yeah, so I'll use a, I guess, an example I'm familiar with. So if I was doing work for EG, for example, EG is not one of these orgs. Uh, I can say that for sure. If I wasn't in high school at the time, I would have worked for them full time. But I had to settle for contract work. Let's say they weren't that way. Let's say they were a little more predatory. They don't want to pay me benefits or anything. Basically, what they would do is they would kind of string you along and tell you, okay, just like three more months, two more months, then we'll start to talk about it, okay? And that just keeps on going indefinitely. So, there's no real end in sight. They have relatively high churn because it's like, okay, if you need a designer, like, if they're not a very team-oriented company, they can just burn through freelancers over and over and over. People are just kind of content with that. It's a very like passion-driven space. So it's kind of like a big opportunity to make two grand a month working for whatever esports. Um, so people are willing to put up with a little more. But yeah, basically just a perpetual path to full-time employment that really doesn't lead to full-time employment. Yeah. If you were going to give advice for somebody that was really interested and passionate about the esports space and wanted to work in it, then what advice do you have on finding a job that isn't a permanent contractor? And permanent contractors, these are people that are doing like engineering work too, right? Not just people that are doing, I don't know, like one of the people that are playing in the competitions. Like these are these are the people behind the scenes, right? Yeah, it's mostly people behind the scenes, I yeah. would say. And how do how do people get jobs that aren't as permanent contractors in esports, I think it's really important to, um, I guess, identify a company with the kind of culture you're looking for. That can be hard in esports because it's not like tech where there's like tons and tons of different places you can look at. There's maybe like 20 top level esports teams. So gotcha. everyone kind of knows each other. And that's also the thing too, like you want to build connections. I know that's very like basic advice. That's like, okay, just build connections. But really it is like a pretty small community. So you got to get familiar with everyone. You got to, you got to do your research, your due diligence. Gotcha. That makes sense. And 
why did you decide to make that pivot a way to watch to earn Web3 streaming? Um, Web3 being, I feel like, another industry that it seems like similar to esports where it's just like blowing up, but it's fairly new to work in it. And it's kind of a lot of my friends, even that work in Web3, to be honest, are contractors. Um, and it's great because there are a lot of my friends that work in Web3 or Nomadic. Um, they do make a ton of freaking money. At least they were uh, a year ago when I met a bunch of them when I was at Miami Hack Week, because that's honestly where I know most people um, were working in Web3 and like my network. Um, why did you decide to go from esports, which feels like a new, a new category, um, if not new, at least growing, to Web3, another new kind of growing category? Yeah, so I guess when I was looking at what I would do next following ETUs, there was one thing I was really sure on, and that was that I wasn't going to work in esports anymore, uh, as much as I love it. I just wanted to be in tech. I grew up super into sci-fi and everything. Like, I, Technology to me is like vitally important. It's, it's Especially as a Zoomer, as a Gen Z kid, like this has defined my life. I just need to be there. I need to be on the ground floor. Yeah. And so I wasn't even really attracted to Web3 in particular. There are elements of Web3 that I really, really love. But there's also a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And when Alex came to me to join Stacked, it was just like, it. regardless of the Web3 label, um, it was the most compelling business that I could be a part of. So yeah, just really good fundamentals, good team. Mm-hmm. And that's what was most appealing to me. Do you find it difficult um, to navigate like this world of working at companies where there's not super, there's not like a, a glass door for tech startups oftentimes, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm sure there's not a glass door that's really giving a lot of information on esports. You're only 19, you're fresh in your career and even younger than most people who are even doing a career in tech. What are some problems that you faced that you think are unique to being extremely young in this career? Oh, man, that's a really good question. So not many people know this, but I actually hid my age for like six years on the Internet. Wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Even my friends, like I literally people that I would call in discord with every day. They had no idea how old I was. Did they ever ask or did you just. Okay. So they just didn't ask. Yeah. I I was selectively telling them certain details. Yeah. 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 And I wouldn't even tell them like. I was very, very careful about this. I wouldn't tweet about things that implied I was in a certain grade in school. Like um, if I tweeted about a pre-algebra test or something, it'd be like, oh, dude, dude, we figured it out. Like we know your age. And I think that was just paranoia on my part. But the reason why I did that is because, I mean, obviously, like if you're like 15, people are less inclined to take you seriously. Uh, I don't blame them either. I'm not going to say that's like some cognitive bias that's wrong on their part because it makes sense but yeah really just kind of keeping it on the low uh flying under the radar a little bit totally contributing here and there yeah yeah i totally get that and um it's so crazy that you were able to hide it for six years that is super interesting mostly because i feel like a lot of people at least in the tech space when they are young and they are like absolutely killing it and they know they are that feels like almost like a badge of honor. Like when did you decide that, you know what, maybe like showing my age might be more beneficial to me in my career than hiding it? That is also a really good question. And that's interesting too, because for me, that's such a foreign idea. Like I see 14 year olds that are founders now and I'm like, oh my God, 
Like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, that's this nuts. is coming from a nineteen-year-old. Yeah, which yeah. I guess I'm already ahead of the game, but like to them, it's like, oh man, fourteen. I can't even imagine like going on Twitter and founding a company. Like that's crazy to me. But I guess in that sense, um, probably when I was like sixteen, seventeen, it was like relatively late in the high school, which I started really owning. Wow. It. Um, okay. Yeah. Felt like I was in like the clear at that point. And how did you get to being paid in the esports world? Were, were you like a professional gamer at one point? Or um, did you just like message like a bunch of companies on Twitter, or, like find them on Discord or Reddit or something? Like where where's this path? It was a very uh, slow and steady progression, I would say. Because I started in like June of 2016, kind of. Yeah. I was in like the Call of Duty space, which led into esports. And I didn't get a, you know, like a full-time wage, I guess, until probably like 2019. So it was like a three-year process of just building my resume and kind of building a, a network within the space. Mm -hmm. And eventually it kind of just coalesced. How do you build your resume, I guess, like in this space? Yeah. I mean, I think Twitter is like the most powerful tool for doing this kind of thing. Because it's one thing to be good at a particular like skill set, in my case, designing. Mm -hmm. But that'll only get you so far. Like raw talent is only one part of the equation. Mm -hmm. The other half is people need to know you exist. Yep. And no matter how skilled you are, if they don't know you exist, you're not going to go anywhere. And Twitter is pretty much the ideal solution, uh, I think, for that problem. Even better than LinkedIn. By far, my personal opinion. Uh, <laughs> some people would disagree with me on uh, that, so but I think Twitter is ideal. I don't think so. I think a lot of people are realizing. I got, um, I got this job. I know that I think about it off of Twitter. Um, Jason posted that he was hiring, and another person commented my name, and that is like how I found out about the job. That's how I found. They're like, oh, this like position reminds me of Rachel, and he like added me. And this is like, like I said, I didn't really use Twitter. Um, before mm -hmm. I got this job and it was like one of those one off things where I think I had like 20 or 30 followers on Twitter at the time and I barely checked the app. I liked it for, um, I think I mostly used it for news because I graduated around the, uh, election. Like I graduated in 2020. And so it was like a really interesting place. Like obviously like seeing on Twitter and all the politicians like flocked over there. Um, and so I remember I was like checking it mostly for that. And when I got that job, um, I think it's so interesting afterwards, like how my perspective of Twitter changed. Like I used to almost treat it like I'm like, oh, like I don't want to spend that much time on Instagram. Um, I don't see like much of a benefit. And now I'm like, dang, like the community building on Twitter is a much different thing. And it's cool to see that the esports world um, sees that too. I think a lot of different worlds kind of connect over on Twitter as a platform. And it's really unique in that way, unlike LinkedIn, where people aren't necessarily connecting on LinkedIn. And it's, you, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, you get LinkedIn connections, but I'm not um, out here like cold messaging people. I don't really even check my LinkedIn that much. Honestly, I, I mostly check my Twitter. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Modern Warfare because I know Modern Warfare has been blowing up as of recently in particular. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I saw just surpassed like $1 billion in revenue. Like that, that is insane. Where do you see the future of esports going? Like I had I had no idea there was this much money this quickly in esports. 
Um, and it, by the way, this is like, it had $1 billion. So for people that aren't nerds, this game was released on right before Halloween, like October 29th or October 28th. So it has been like, it was like the first 10 days where it surpassed $1 billion in revenue. Like, that's crazy. What's the future of esports considering there's this much money in it? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, there's so much money in gaming. And I think that kind of goes without saying. It's just such a cultural cornerstone. I know, like, I was in high school when Fortnite was really blowing up. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, that was a whole different era. Right? You had people posting on their Snapchat stories, like, <laughs> their Fortnite wins. People go to school yeah. and talk about, like, Ninja. Um, so that was crazy. As an esports team, though, you're kind of at the bottom of the trickle down of all that cash. Okay. Uh, it's really hard to monetize like an esports viewer because um, there's only a handful of ways you can really do it. It's like merch, sponsorships. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Like partnerships, yeah. just random other stuff. Um, I think this might actually be a place where NFTs come in handy. Okay. I mean, it kind of combines like the merch aspect, like you can represent a team. You can provide utility in the sense that you can give like tickets or discounts on uh, certain events or whatever, right? Uh, like it almost acts like a premium membership kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to say. I think a lot of esports teams are even going to maybe leave like competitive wow. esports and move towards content creation instead, like going oh. all in on YouTubers and streamers. I'm not even that into gaming. And the only reason I know about um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 isn't even because like I, I don't play it. I've never played Call of Duty anything. But they um, are advertising like nuts. So not only do I see them in buses in on New York, like literally wrapped, but I kept getting YouTube video um, ads for Modern Warfare. And I was like, this is how much money do these people have? Like, this is this is insane. Like their ad budget must be same with like, the only other person where I think that is like athletic greens has so many ads in the same way where I'm like, where, what the heck? Like, am I missing something? And that's how I looked into it. And I do see a lot on like my TikTok um, for you page and recommend it to me on YouTube. I do see a lot of people that are gaming and watching and my roommates will put it up on our TV and like cut and walk around the house and do dishes or whatever. But we never put up like tournaments, like, live streams of tournaments or streams of tournaments. And I know those are a thing and I know they're really big. My brothers who are uh, four years younger than me and two years younger than me are still in college and love like watching them. And they're because they're in college, like sometimes people like even have like events that they can go to, but those just aren't being watched. um, I feel like as much as streamers. Yeah. uh, I think, I think streamers have like better margins, like as a, Mm. As a business, it just makes yeah. more sense to invest in content creators rather than like an, a pro esports team. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, obviously, I don't know numbers, um, but what I do know is that players in these esports teams get paid a disproportionate amount, a yeah. a lot of money. It just makes more sense. I think I think streamers and content creators just offer a more tangible return in general, oh, yeah. and they're more accessible. It's just you don't need to know context to understand someone is funny on the TV. Like it's it's gonna be fun to watch regardless. I don't remember who this person was, but I remember I watched him a lot. I want to say his name is Donkey that I used to watch as a streamer, and he was just one of those people that's funny when you like 
listen to it in the background. So I used to have it on a lot. And um, I was like, this is so interesting because like you're watching this person play. And like you said, you weren't watching tournaments. And to me, it almost felt like if you were a professional soccer player and you were juggling like a soccer ball and just talking about soccer, that would make you more money than if you went and played at a soccer game. You know what I mean? And maybe that's not a great comparison. But I remember when I was watching his videos, I was like, this guy isn't even doing this in like a super competitive like setting or he's just making, I don't even like know because I wasn't even watching. I was just listening to him being funny. Um, I don't even know if he was good. I have no idea. He was just like a funny person. And I'm like, this is, it's weird because um, it's a sport. So it is entertainment, but it's almost at a different level of entertainment um, or at a totally different category than regular sports. And I almost wish the term sports would be like dropped because a lot of the people that I watch as streamers, as somebody who doesn't game, so they already have to be insanely popular, um, are comedians. So that is my, I don't know if that's a hot take, but I want e-sports people that are streamers to be in a category of comedy rather than like sport. Is yeah, that a hot take? no, I actually think that's a great point. And I don't really think that's a hot take. I think it was Misfits Gaming Group. They they own like three franchises in like Call of Duty League, Overwatch League. And I think... LCS. They might have dropped their LCS spot, something like that. Uh, yeah. And I think the reason why they they dropped their spot, they're actually pulling out of all these franchises. They're very, very wow. expensive to get in. It's like $30 million just to compete. That's not even the field of team or whatever. That's like each, by the way. So that's probably like $100 million just in franchise spots. And that's that's like literally zero other business expenses. That's just the ability to compete. And they're pulling out of that. And the reason why is like, okay, so it's just not profitable. Um, it makes more sense to go in on content creators. Um, and like you said, content creators are like, if, if you have a funny person, you don't need to understand how to play League of Legends mm-hmm. because if they're funny, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so I don't know, just bigger audience, bigger appeal. I know like Dream really blew up in yes. the last couple of years. When dream, dream, oh my gosh, another internet rabbit hole to get into if you're interested in all this stuff. Dream was in the news recently, like a few months ago. So that is a great rabbit hole. Basically, nobody knew what Dream looked like, and now people know what Dream looks like. And the reason Dream showed what they looked like was because they had like a friend visiting and he never like met a friend in person, right? Like it was something crazy like that. Um, really interesting seeing esports and like anonymity. And um, even like you said, like you hit your age. So I think it's a, I don't know if that's very unique to esports or just having a life on the internet because there's obviously a bunch of like anon accounts on different platforms. But I think the people that do it very, very well are in esports. And another one of our producers actually just told me some stats that I think are pretty nuts from Syracuse back in 2018. So in the NBA, 63 million people view games. For the MLB, that number is 79 million. And for esports, that number is 84 million. So a ton of people watch it. And then the number one spot for people watching sports would be the NFL. And that would be at 141 million. So blowing everybody out of the park. But it's crazy that esports has more views than the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, um, MLS. Like that's, that's intense. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know how to play like football. Like I literally have no idea. Like yeah. esports to me, like I grew up with this stuff. This to me is my yeah. my sports. I think that's still pretty unusual. Like even for Gen Z kids, 
I think it's becoming more and more like mainstream. It's mm-hmm. almost unanimous now. Um, but it's not really at the point where like, you know, it's not like the whole family gathers around to watch the League of Legends World Championships. Not yet, at least. I think we're probably on the way there. Yeah. But I, oh, yeah, that is so interesting. Like seeing like 10 years from now, how kids will be with sports because out of I have two roommates, one of them watches like football on TV and stuff like that. And the other one, the one that got the Steam Deck, um, like hooks up his Steam Deck, like plays video games. And that's like his thing. And it is really, really interesting. And we are all, me and my roommates are almost 25. And so I guess we're definitely still indoctrinated into like traditional sports is like what you do with your free time. Whereas like there's people dribbled here and there um, who do focus on esports like my other roommate. That will be crazy. Like imagine going to a bar, for example, and seeing esports happen rather than, you know, just the one off. Like I think at in State College, Pennsylvania, um, I went to one viewing that they had for sports and it was like something super silly. I don't even remember what it was. It was like Mario Kart or something like that, but it was like a giant tournament. And so it was like streamed, but it was one time in college. And then another time they, the same bar went and they said like, everybody bring your own devices. And that was like a little networking thing for people that were really interested in like gaming. And outside of like those two times, I actually can't name any other time in college that a company or any other organization like really, really did support the gaming community, which is interesting because um, obviously it needs a lot more work in the field with employees. And I'm wondering if more people learn about the industry um, earlier on and like spoke to more people, if people that worked there would be more equally treated, I think, compared to other industries within tech. How do you think we can make the change of getting people out of those permanent contractor roles? That's a really good question that I've honestly thought about a lot over the last few years. I'm not really sure there's a good solution outside of just, you know, esports is just growing up, basically. It started as a purely passion industry. And I use the word industry pretty loosely because it was like, uh, you know, it's like YouTube videos and just random, random people kind of just making it work. And it's, it's grown up a lot. And even in the last like few years, I think it's gotten a lot better. Like when I started in esports in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty much unfathomable that I would be able to work in esports at all, yeah. like full time as a graphic designer. Uh, but it just steadily kind of progressed. I think yeah. there's a lot of investor money flowing into the space and it's kind of, I don't want to say evened it out because it hasn't at all. It's disproportionately affected the the pro players. They reap all the rewards. Um, but that's not to say it's it's all bad. You know, it's like I made three hundred dollars a month in twenty seventeen. I made three thousand dollars a month in twenty nineteen. Yeah, working for an esports team. Like it, it clearly has improved. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of. One, it's a natural cycle. Esports is just maturing as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Two, just more awareness surrounding it in general. I think the primary driver of the esports employee employer conflict uh, is really just the fact that a lot of the people that are working in esports got in when they were super young, like including me. And so this is basically what they grew up with. Like they don't know. 
they're completely oblivious to how it compares uh, to the rest of tech, for example. They, they don't have the concept of a high paying fang job in their head. They don't mm -hmm. see that. Even startups, startups are much, they're, they're much more preferable to work in, uh, in terms of compensation, the amount of responsibility you take on, all that stuff, uh, compared to your average startup esports team. So I think it's really just as the community grows more cognizant, that'll start to change. Gotcha. That's going to be exciting. It, it makes me happy to hear that you said, and it can acknowledge like, yeah, things have gotten much better because that's always a good sign. And let's just hope things continue to go up because I feel like in 2020 in particular and during lockdowns and things like that, when people had a lot more time to game, they did. And I can see a lot more people going into this industry and shining the light on um, what permanent contractors are and that you don't want to be a permanent contractor, I think is really important. Because like you said, kind of like you don't know what you don't know. So excited to see what this industry does in the future. And oh, and if people wanted to connect with you, where could they find you? Follow me on Twitter, Owen underscore row. And that is R-O-E row. I would link something else too. But to be honest, Twitter is all I really use. It's all you really need. So follow me there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Owen. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And happy weekend. You did it. And shout out to all the veterans out there. It is Veterans Day. Aww, Thank you for service. all that you have done. Thank you for your service. I know that sounds trite, but... Oh, it's sincere. In a, in a week when I think we feel like democracy rose to the occasion. Yeah, sure. It's because of the work that you have done. So thanks, everybody. You know, yeah, we have to fight the good fight here in America. Um, and everybody here has to do their part. And then keeping the world safe. And, yeah. and we live with the illusion uh, here as Americans for decades at a time that our safety is just insured. And then things like 9-11 happen, uh, other terrorist attacks, wars, other countries being invaded, partners of ours. And all of that is because we have servicemen and women around the world ensuring that democracy and freedom and the freedom of human beings and the human spirit, humanity itself is insured by these people who volunteer, they opt in to protecting us. Mm -hmm. And I take it uh, incredibly seriously that I get to do what I do only because those people have opted in. In another Absolutely. lifetime, we would have to do our tours. It would be us, yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's members of my family. It's, you know, it's really, yeah, we talk a lot. Kai well, yeah. and Rizdal and I would talk about this a lot, the divide, the civilian military divide. Most people don't have anyone in their family in the military. Most right. You know, I mean, it's just a, a remarkable divide. And so I think it's easy for us to become unaware. Right. But like, I have a cousin in the Navy who I'm worried about all the time. It's terrifying. Yeah. And I'm I, grateful that he's doing what he's doing. Right. And, you know, I have uh, uh, family members who are in, you know, agencies, uh, you know, military related agencies, and they disappear for periods of time and come back. Can't talk about what they're doing. Uh, but we know what they're doing is dangerous. Yeah, a deadly serious. And my Lord, what an incredible track record we have. We always feel safe because of the dexterity and the effort of these individuals. It's that's the other thing we don't we not only have an incredible military, we have the greatest military. And we have the most peaceful, uh, you know, uh, uh, record going on here for a couple of years of maintaining order 
And if we didn't maintain this order on the planet, there's a lot of dictators and despots who will be running amok. It's not always perfect. The, the leaders, uh, you know, who, who command uh, our military, uh, they don't make perfect decisions. But I think overall, uh, you know, as imperfect as our leaders can be at times, mm-hmm. the people who are actually executing uh, out there on the front lines, that, that's, that's, that's as close to perfection as you're going to get. I mean, I, I have a, a friend of mine, uh, John McEwen, we went to high school together. Man, what, what, they, what they do on the front lines, the stories he's told me, incredible, incredible. The, the dexterity, the excellence, the, just the pure raw excellence of these individuals is just next level. And it really is great that we can feel this level of safety because they're out there doing it shift after shift anonymously quietly humbly but with that like extreme ability i am just always in awe when i see what they can do and they do it fast and effective i mean it's just it's inspiring it really is Mm -hmm. inspiring so thank you Mm -hmm. from the bottom of our hearts and you know we don't take it for granted that we get to you know live this cushy life because you're out there protecting the herd right yeah you're out there protecting the herd we're all the sheep here we get to graze here in the united states and enjoy this incredible safety they're out there protecting us from the wolves thank you thank you seriously seriously and and we will be back at our cushy jobs on sunday with another episode of vc sunday school a really interesting beefy conversation about corporate venture and this should you take that money or not should take that money or not and what should i think if you already took that money it's a good it's a good conversation yeah and of course We got a This Week in Climate Startups segment that I Mm. think you're going to love. So we'll see you on Sunday, everybody. Enjoy your restful Saturday. Catch up on some episodes this week. If you need to, rest up. We're sprinting towards the end of the year. We're coming soon. Bye-bye. All right, bye.